podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it Hello, patrons. What's up? We are back. Well, just for you, we are back. Yeah. And we're going to do these like little... Ryan... Uh, We'll do these like pilot episodes, and I don't need to do a big long intro because you're patrons. You know who we are. Right. You know it's Joshua Fields Milburn and the man formerly known as Ryan Nicodemus. <laughs> also still known as Ryan Nicodemus. <laughs> right. And that together we make the minimalists. <laughs> yeah, so yes. we'll, 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 we'll bypass that. that. <laughs> now, Ryan, you will go to great lengths yes. to avoid playing me in ping pong. <laughs> <laughs> Because you take it so seriously, man. I, I I don't like playing when it's all when it's all serious. I think maybe you're the one who takes it ser- so seriously mm. because you went and broke five vertebrae just to avoid being beat in ping pong. That's how painful it is you, to you. You know what's funny? I uh, got a gift. Well, yeah, I got a gift basket from Bluehost. Uh-huh. Know, that was just like a hey, get well. Hope you're feeling better. Here's uh-huh. some delicious treats for you. Um, and I text uh, Albert uh, from Bluehost. I'm like, dude, thanks so much for you know sending me the gift basket. He's like, yeah, no problem. He's like, I can't wait to play you in ping pong again. <laughs> he used to be like a pro ping pong player. Yeah, yeah, like 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 world championship. He just he if Albert is one of our patrons and he's listening to this, uh, you know, I don't know why he likes to humiliate me. It's like here's a gift basket. I can't wait till I can humiliate you next time. Well, last time I played him, I got a point, which is like that's it's essentially beating him. It's almost a win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with like with with the handicap that you and I have, we're aggressively mediocre at mm, ping pong yeah but we're really good compared to each other like like we're a good match for each other right yeah right yeah. It, it, it's competitive it, absolutely and and maybe that is the key to happiness mm. did you catch that segue there Ryan? yeah competitiveness is the key to happiness <laughs> no, no no but <laughs> but uh surrounding yourself with the appropriate challenges yeah where if i had I like to play that. alfred every day in ping pong I would get probably get marginally better, but not really. He's so much better than me. Like it does, it doesn't make sense to try. It's like yeah. it's like putting a baby onto a track and saying, "All right, it's time for the four hundred yard dash." And it's <laughs> like I'm a baby. Um, yeah, and, and that's how I feel when I'm playing him. But with you, it's like both of us crawling along the track. It's like this perfect amount of uh, friction, almost. Mm. Like it's not too much friction to where like I am just you know completely unbeatable. And it's not so much friction as to where, or I'm sorry, yeah, you, you understand what I'm trying to say, where it's not like uh, I'm de- I'm destroying you or you're destroying me. There's this appropriate amount of friction that we have going on with ping pong with each other. Does that make sense? When you and I lived in Montana, you had to have chains in your trunk, right? Yeah, yeah. Because when you drive over a pass, uh, uh, one of the mountain passes, you had to put the chains from the the your trunk onto your tires yeah because there's no friction it's all ice yeah right mm-hmm. and and the key there is what you just said the appropriate amount of friction because also if you surround yourself with people who are like have never played ping pong ever like we were doing the thing with the today show last year oh yeah and uh joe ling uh she she came out and we just like we were better at ping pong than her right she played both of us at the same time right and it was just fun but like i can imagine if if we were if we were trying to truly be competitive there or just 
trying to make the best of it, it would have been very difficult because my skill level, I'd either have to uh, water down extremely, you know, my my uh, level of skill, mm-hmm. or she would, you know, just not have fun at all. It would be 11 to 1 every single time or 11 to 0. So today we want to talk about happiness. Now, what we're doing in February, y'all, for our patrons is we are, I'm just really considering these pilot episodes. We're going to test out some material. We're going to read some stuff. We're going to answer some questions. We're doing four different episodes. We're going to play around and we're going to screw up. Mm. And uh, thank you for being there for you, thanks you're the, for being our test audience. <laughs> yeah, you're you're the small group of people who gets to see us screw up. But you also get to see us be a bit more personal uh, th- this time around. So we'll talk about some personal stuff, especially with respect to the, the happiness episode. That's why I wanted to start with this because Ryan and I are going through both going through some pretty serious struggles on our own right mm. now, yeah. and some things that I. I, I wouldn't dwell on in public, but you all are here and you're supportive and you're caring. So I'll talk about some of the issues that I'm going through as well. And of course, what Ryan's gone through with his back. But um, Ryan, I don't know where to start here. We're, we're talking about happiness. Maybe we start with the more about less segment. Usually, I don't know where this will end up when we end up doing these these maximal episodes regularly, but more about less where we have these articles where uh, that are at least... Well, at least indirectly tied into minimalism and the stuff that we talk about. Yeah. And sometimes they may even be directly tied in. And we might read something about the life-changing magic of tidying yeah, up or well, something. I, I think happiness is a perfect uh, synecdoche with minimalism because, I mean, I can't tell you how many emails I get. And they're like, man, you know, I've, I've never been happier. Thank you so much. Or uh, people will email me and they'll say, um, if I become a minimalist, is that the answer to happiness? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, definitely people, when they think about minimalism, they are thinking about bettering their life. They're thinking about living a happier life. Yeah. So, you know, does, is minimalism this ultimate happiness tool? I mean, I don't know. I guess, I guess that's what we'll dive into here. Right. And w- when we talk about happiness, it's such a flimsy word the way that we use it now. Do we mean joy? Do we mean pleasure? Because those are two utterly different things. Right. Am I feeling elated? Do I feel manic? Is that happiness? I don't don't think so. You know, my father was manic depressive. And so... uh, I mean, maybe it was there were highs and lows there, but is happiness just the high? And can you have the highs without the low? Can you have happiness without pain or discontent? Um, Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of that today, and I'm gonna start Ryan just with the beginning of this longer article from Time Magazine. Sean, if you can put a link to this in the Patreon show notes. Yeah, I haven't read that one. Give me the highlights. Well, it's just uh, the beginning here. I thought it'd be a good jump-off point for us to discuss it. Because I hate the title already. (laughs) What's the title? Here's how money really can buy you happiness. Oh, that's silly. The following story is an excerpt from Time's special edition, The Science of Happiness, which is available on Amazon. Uh, At least that's what it says here on this piece of paper. Whoever said money can't buy happiness isn't spending it right. (laughs) That's, that's in quotes. Is that P. Diddy? Who's, who said that? Lexus, actually. You oh. may re- remember those Lexus ads from years back, which hijacked this bumper sticker ready twist on the conventional wisdom to sell a car so fancy that no one would ever dream of affixing a bumper sticker to it. Yeah, that's true. Like if you, I, I used to own two Lexuses back in the day, mm-hmm. two Lex I back in the day, and I did not have a bumper sticker no. on either one of them. Yeah. What made the ads so intriguing? but also so infuriating was that they seemed to offer a simple 
if rather expensive solution to a common question. How can you transform the money you work so hard to earn into something approaching the good life? Mm. Ooh, let's talk about that for a second. Let's let's pause right there, right? Because that's another thing. People see Read that sentence one this more time. term, the good life. So how can you transform the money you work so hard? So well, let's go back to the beginning of that sense. What made the ad so intriguing but also so infuriating was that they seemed to offer a simple, if rather expensive, solution to a common question. How can you transform the money you work so hard to earn into something approaching the good life? Yeah. So we all work to earn money. Yeah. And uh, we, in our society, we've decided that instead of bartering goods and services, we have these pieces of paper that we've all agreed are worth yeah, the the same amount. Yeah, uh, a dollar is worth a dollar. Right, and we've all we've all sort of agreed to that. That hey, this weird piece of paper is worth something. The way I don't have to like trade you a goat for a pair of sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what I'm doing with a goat in this scenario. <laughs> but uh, the thing the, the thing that I, I'm looking at here is what what is the good life even mean? Hmm. Because the the good life for me is probably considerably different from a good life for you and often when we are although they're I think they're similar in maybe their value structure but in the activities they're so dramatically different yeah um it just I mean you you breaking your back you were doing something that was part of living the good life yeah, for you right? right something no regrets by the way <laughs> no <laughs> well, I mean I, I mean I learned a lesson you regret running into a tree well I yeah but I mean <laughs> But yeah, yeah. I'd do it again. I don't resent snowboarding for my yeah, broken back. There you go. I resent my decisions, if anything. <laughs> right. And and I, on the other hand, would resent snowboarding because like, that's not my... Right. It, that's not my idea of the good life. I, I live to me. The good life is a relatively boring life. I, I, I want my life to be relatively boring. It's mainly because I'm allergic to fun. <laughs> um, but but happiness often resides in the moments. That, do you remember that movie Glenn Gary Glenn Ross? Oh yeah. There's a put that coffee down. <laughs> right. Not not the the real remarkable <laughs> scene, but there's a scene where Al Pacino is. Uh, his character is selling real estate to this guy in this restaurant that's across the street from their office. Yes. Uh, Link, I think is the guy's name. And they're, uh, he, he's selling it to him, but the co- and throughout the conversation, he's like, he's talking about, what do you remember most about sex? Hmm. And he's like, it's almost never the orgasm. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's what you're going for from sex. Yeah. And I think that's what we're going for from the good life or happiness. Sex, the, the sex is this whole thing. It's it's everything that leads up to sex, the courtship, the flirting. That's all part of the the process the there. The process of sex. Right. Yeah. Because real sex isn't like going to the red light district and hiring a prostitute and and then you know here's your hundred dollars and let's have this transaction interesting yeah to, to me the sex involves something else you know there love you can say love is 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 a component of it but it's caring it's intimacy it's understanding it's trust mm-hmm. um it's vulnerability yeah 
and and that comes only through something that is actually free. Sex is free, and I mean, if you're paying for it, it's something else. It's sex work. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's there's that term for a reason, and this isn't me. Uh, I, I, by the way, I think there are there are times when sex work is totally appropriate, and that's a totally different conversation that we can have with our patrons only. It's the world's uh, oldest profession. It is indeed. <laughs> and so, but no, I understand what you're saying. I mean, it's it is not this whole. Uh, it's it's not all about the that final elation. I mean, when I think about happiness and people chasing happiness, when I used to chase happiness, it's like sometimes I'd get it. Mm-hmm. I would get that, you know, figurative orgasm, mm-hmm. but then it was over after that. Right, and there are multiple ways that we do that. You, you I, I did that. My drug of choice was consumption. Mm. And you're buying. My drug of choice was drugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, opioids in particular, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And and there is a correlation between the the sort of uh, uh, orgasmic feeling, and then of course the first time you did opioids. Mm. Let's talk about that. Is that? I mean, we uh, mistake it for happiness, right? Well, sure. I mean, opioids actually studies have shown that when you are on opiates, like you, your brain. Um, if you look at a brain on opiates versus a brain that just had an orgasm, it's very similar. Right. It's a very similar brain. And and that's often what we think of when we say happiness. Yeah. This constellation. Yeah, yeah. And and so the Lexus ad that says, buy this Lexus and you'll be happy. If that's what happiness is, mm. the ephemeral momentary joy that quickly fades, then in a weird way, they're actually right. Hmm. It will give you happiness. However, the the real happiness, because the contentment that comes after. I mean, I think about having sex with Bex. The the like it's part of a, the our broader relationship as a whole. Sex is is just one part of that. It's an mm-hmm. important part of that. Um, but you walk away from it feeling almost like replenished in a way where like mm. your relationship does. Whereas buying the Lexus, even let's say you, you're a millionaire and you can afford it mm. and, and you're able to go spend, you know, 60, 80 grand on this new Lexus or maybe even more than that these days. I've no idea what a Lexus costs now. Um, if you go into the dealership, drop a bag of cash on them, man, you might feel that in the moment. Sure. The same way I feel beating you at ping pong in the moment. It's probably a similar <laughs> feeling, right? Um, I, 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 one can only say yes. Well, you, you, you know this feeling because you beat me fifty-one percent of the time. But when I beat you, though, I don't. I'm really. I'm not any happier. No, but I think that's that's interesting. You're you're not. Any, I don't even feel it. But I'm saying like I don't feel happy in the moment. That's not true. I I, I, I see I, the elation. And also I mean, I, I might tease you, dude, but it's fun to tease you. I'm happy when I tease you. But I, right, <laughs> and that, that's something else, though. That that is what I'm saying is the real happiness is coming from all of these free things. Sex, real sex, when done mm. correctly, is free. It's all of the it's it's all of the flirting and the foreplay and the act itself. And going back to the Glengarry Glen Ross scene, he's like, "What are the things you remember? It's not the orgasm mm-hmm. that you remember. Is what you." remember is like how her hair hit your face Mm. or how you know the morning after you woke up next to her and and, you know her arm was on your cheek or something you remember these these little fleeting moments yeah but the long-term pleasure the long-term joy is a better way to say it really comes from the remembering self sort of accessing the experience Mm. and by the way the the memory is such a slippery thing we remember things 
Yeah, uh, Malcolm Gladwell did that. He did a whole episode on how the memory basically doesn't uh, is just wrong all the time, repeatedly. Mm. I, I know for me, it's why I'm I'm always I'm always really careful because I remember things spot on, and I'm like, this is exactly how it happened. Oh yeah, me too. Uh, and you, you're, you're a lot of time you rebut me with. Ryan, I have video evidence. <laughs> well, thankfully, we've recorded like, I don't know, 300 of our conversations if you go right. back to all of our postscript and regular yeah. episodes. And and so we do have audio. Sean, I need you to roll the tape on our conversation. <laughs> we need to play back. But there are some things. I remember one of my first memories as a kid back in Ohio. I remember we, we had just moved to the suburbs, uh, which was just a really poor terrible apartment complex mm. um this is before we moved to the house we were in a this warm, apartment yeah. complex for for a year um called american village and it was yeah it was downtrodden was this in lebanon yeah oh, okay yeah okay. and so we moved from from dayton proper we were in the oregon district moved down to to lebanon and and uh we were in this this apartment complex and i remember going off into the woods there was like this woods that wasn't far away because it's on the outskirts between Lebanon and Franklin pretty much, right? Okay. And, uh, I mean, you know, you used to yeah. uh, like have a house over there. Like Red Line is between Lebanon and Franklin. Yeah. Right, right, I'm right. And so there were these woods that I went into as a kid. And I remember, right, I can still picture this memory of me going there. Okay. And I saw this waterfall. Uh-oh, someone's ringing. Is it me? Answer it. Oh, dude, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. It's my fault. <laughs> I'm, uh, see, they get to watch us screw up. <laughs> Let me so, put, just put this on airplane real quick. Cool. And and I was I was I was walking into this the, the woods. Mm-hmm. And I remember this giant waterfall. And it's really gorgeous. Oh wow! And I re- went back as a teenager and tried to find it, and it does not exist. <laughs> but you, I remember, remember it so vividly mm. now my best guess is it was probably a dream that i had mm. uh going into those woods and and it was one of those vivid dreams uh, i remember this other time i remember the uh when i was living in the oregon district in in dayton i remember a, the first dream i had i was three years old and there was a witch hiding under our staircase but i remember it as if there was an actual witch under our staircase and so how we remember an event is often uh what what marks that event as good bad happy sad whatever Mm. Uh, and we have to be careful with that because i can i need to go back and look at my life more objectively it's easy for me to just shit on my old corporate life where it was like oh this is meaningless or whatever but meaning is just a word mean everything has the meaning that we actually give to the thing, mm-hmm. right? Or give to the job. And the truth is, there were actually a lot of really meaningful things that went on when I was back at, at in the corporate world yeah. at Cincinnati Bell. We can say that on the Patreon-only thing. Um, and uh, uh, it was broad span in, in the book uh, and everything that remains. But uh, we, we were there, and that, a lot of it was meaningful. Mm-hmm helping people develop yeah. hiring people helping people better understand what it what would add value like yeah. these are all all things that we talk about now do public speaking like yeah, that's, oh my god i mean the, that that's one of the biggest things i got yeah that's one of the hugest things and we got podcast sean here used to work with us we have relationships awesome relationships from that company yeah certainly mm-hmm. 
Facebook friends? <clears throat> Facebook friends? <laughs> no, I don't because uh, I quit Facebook. Oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. Well, Larry, don't we- worry. I'll remind you every single time you bring up Facebook. <laughs> Larry Weiss says hi. Um, <laughs> so Larry. <laughs> so anyway, I I think that that the remembering. Oh, the fact there are doctors where th- th- they've shown like if they're you're they're doing some painful procedure on you, mm-hmm. um, and it they say it takes i don't know 30 seconds to do this painful thing it's mm-hmm. an injection or or they need to scope something whatever mm-hmm. it and it's a 30 second thing mm-hmm. and it's painful the whole time mm-hmm. they found that if they do that same procedure for the 30 seconds but then slowly decrease the pain over the course of the next minute so actually giving you more pain in total significantly more pain right you have a better memory of that experience uh, because you have a longer memory of the How it less ends. pain yeah rather than that first initial super a lot like 10 out of 10 pain right yeah and, and, okay. and, and you remember how it ends back to the the orgasm thing right, right. Like, how long would you continue sex if it started with the orgasm right uh, <laughs> depends on how i'm feeling <laughs> <laughs> right but but that's that's the thing it, so that, that that is the and that's what we're always going for we're chasing that and yeah. so i think that quite often happiness is happiness is the problem Mm. And, and it's chasing so, happiness is the problem, right? Yeah. Right, chasing the the constant. You know, it, we we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. One might also call that the chasing of happiness. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Now, now there are ways to pursue it without chasing it. Is is that the case? Mm. Um, well, I I think so. I, I think it depends on what we mean by happiness. If we're talking about a contented life then maybe it has to do with what, how we spend our 24 hours. Mm. And I know when I'm most discontented, it is often because I'm not spending my time with, the w- I'm not spending my I'm not out, I'm, I'm not budgeting my time right mm-hmm. we we all often talk about budgeting our money right because right. it's easier to measure we mm-hmm. think but isn't time the easiest thing to measure sure because you have sixty minutes in this next hour doesn't matter what country you're in a minute's a minute right an hour's an hour exactly yeah. but then we budget in all different ways and mm-hmm. and and time becomes this really slippery thing as well yeah. because. As you're snowboarding, all of a sudden you look up and you're like, I can't believe it's already three three p.m. Mm. I didn't know I've been here for four hours. Like mm. this is this is amazing. Mm-hmm. There's other times where you, you are, you know, it's uh, yeah, waiting. When, when they were bringing me down the trail on my back, like that was the longest run I have ever been on. Right. It was so every little bump I felt. It was yeah. I, I could count every single second. Yeah, extreme excruciating pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every moment becomes significant. Right. And in fact, you like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this next moment. And right. I've been going through a lot of that myself uh, recently. Um, I've been having some pretty bad stomach issues since uh, September, late September mm-hmm. of 2018. And uh, I, Ryan, I sent you like my whole health timeline there. And yeah. It's, what, like talk about putting putting your health issues in perspective, man. Like it's been going on for 10 years, 11 years. Right. And, and also, uh, so around 22, I, st- I think age 22 or 24, somewhere around there. No, 22. I, I started taking this antibiotic daily for 13 years mm. called Bactrim. Doctor prescribed it. Doctor's now retired, and and 
I I just tr- I, I trusted him blindly and, and just took this antibiotic and um, I think it has destroyed my gut like mm. totally just mm. it, imagine carpet bombing a city for for 13 years yeah. it's not going to be the same city what I'm trying to do is rebuild from there and I thought I, I had it under a great deal of control um, a year ago and then about seven months ago last summer were two of the best months of my life I did a, a particular elimination diet and uh, was eating very few foods and, and man it I felt the happiest I had ever felt and it was prolonged contentment because I didn't have I didn't have the health problems that I had been experiencing right. and some health problems I didn't even realize I had been experiencing mm. uh, severe inflammation I mean wow I'm I'm beginning to think that I was arthritic and that's how inflamed I was oh wow uh, and because I experienced it last week I went back to to Montana and there's something about the winter and the elevation there uh, probably some of the psychological residue that, that's from there as well that uh, just completely inflamed me. Like I could hardly walk last week. It wow. was unbelievable. Uh, and I, I I just felt arthritic all over my whole body, especially my ankles, my knees, my uh, just all my joints, my back. Everything was back to where it was. Hard to be happy in that moment, huh? Really is. Mm. And the thing that I've been practicing, uh, I'm doing Sam Harris's meditation app called Waking Up, and Bex and I are doing it together. And one of the things that he talks about on day five of of the meditations um, are how we feel that it's that moment is unbearable, right? Like you're coming down the mountain mm-hmm. and you're like, it's painful. And then yeah. a couple of days ago, you said you had 10 out of 10 pain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So in that moment, don't you, f- you feel like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this next second. Yeah. Uh, because everything is right there. But yeah. the thing that... I mean, med- I do have tools I use to get me through it. <sighs> I okay. mean, it's like, <clears throat> so when, like when I'm going down that hill, I could count every single second, but being able to know that, okay, I'm going to like get the treatment I need and eventually I'm going to be laying in the bed back at Mariah's parents. It might be six hours from now, mm-hmm. but I guess for me, like to get through those moments, it's, uh, it's not all doom and gloom is what I'm trying to say. Right. And it doesn't have to be. I, I, I mean, not necessarily, I guess. And, and and that's what I'm I'm trying to figure out with the whole the Sam Harris thing. He, he talks about how we we often think like this ten out of, when it, when I'm in ten out of ten pain or I feel despair or I feel depression. Yeah. Um. Then uh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this moment or this mm. minute or this day. Yeah. Right. But the truth is, you have already made it through this moment. It's a new moment already. Yeah. And, and we now here's another one. Right. <laughs> and so this moment is unbearable. But we somehow have already borne that moment, and it's gone. It's already floated up, and it's it's dissipating right now. Yeah. It's like the car horn you hear in the distance. You can't hold on to it. Mm-hmm. It's just gone, and every moment is is a lot like that. And that that for me has put things into perspective because I have over the last four months now uh, experienced you know, October, November, December, January uh, depression. Mm. Uh, thoughts of suicide mm. um just because like 
I, there's this weird chemical imbalance with whatever's going on with my gut. Mm. I'm seeing a GI doctor this week. We're supposed to do like a double scope and all this other stuff. I need to set that up still, but we're doing a consultation. I've been working with a team of great doctors and we're trying a lot of stuff, but there are moments where I feel such despair yeah. where it's just like, I don't want to be here anymore. It's not like I, I don't want to kill myself. I'm just like, I don't want to be here. I'm in so much pain. And, and realizing though, the things that have kept me going are like, well, I've already, I've already borne that. Mm. And there are ways to, to sit with this and, and observe it without suffering. So how do you get, cause for me, I can, there's an end inside, like just going back to breaking my back. Like I know, uh, like I'm in pain right now, but like I can push through it because I'm like, ah, the pain's not as, it's not 10 out of 10. And I know that a week from today, it'll be a month. Uh, of healing that that I've got under my belt, mm-hmm. and uh, thank God for like uh, just having the the um, having the support behind uh, uh, just people like I don't even know just sending me messages. It's it's really amazing. But yeah, um, to all the patrons too. They've all been all in the community. I know, tab you all are and, awesome. Yeah. I really appreciate it. I mean, it really does it means a lot to me. Um, but there's one gentleman particularly who he uh, was talking about. How he broke his back, and I'm like, dude, how long before you could roll over comfortably? And he was like, it was a month. Like, mm. it was definitely a month. So now I've got this, all right, you know what? It's going to be a month next Friday. Mm-hmm. And and I've got something to look forward to. And if it, if I can't roll over then comfortably, like, I know it's not far behind. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I know, uh, you know, in 10 weeks, I'll be completely healed. So for me, it's like looking forward and seeing, like, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. And that's what kind of gets me through these moments. With your situation there really isn't a light per se but there is okay and i think maybe the lesson here i'm just learning this as you say this <clears throat> yeah is maybe the lesson is we can create our own light mm. and my doctor I agree with that, yeah. uh, dr thomas wood he was on the podcast uh, episode 138 of the main podcast feed uh we did a health problems podcast and that's when i was like 80 percent there and i and last summer i felt like i was 100 percent. i thought i was fixed yeah like I, you remember my energy levels were through the roof. My yeah. libido was through the roof. Mm-hmm. My digestive issues were gone. My yeah. inflammation was gone. I was sleeping well. Like everything was firing on all cylinders. Yeah. And if I were to die right now, that was the peak of my life. Mm. What was uh, last summer? Last summer. Summer of 2018. It was. Yeah. It, it, we were doing that. We did the Simply Southern tour. We did those three cities. We did yeah. Dave Ramsey. And and it was I just a fun year. yeah, it was it was those two months in particular were awesome. And and for me, that is the light at the end of the tunnel. But like, how do we move that forward? Because I don't think the past equals the future. Mm-hmm. I'm boring the shit out of podcast. Sean, he's over here yawning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I find you interesting. The I don't think the past equals the future. But I think not. we can we can look in the rear view and we can say, oh, that's where I was, mm-hmm. and. I'm actually, that's where I'm trying to get back to. Not exactly there, yeah. but that same landscape, that same feeling. And there's no reason why that isn't plausible. I don't know. Uh, we're going to do some tests. I mean, it could be Crohn's disease. It could be colitis. It could be stomach cancer. It could be well, something terrible. I, I guess what I'm saying is that you can look at last summer and say, I know I felt this way before. Right. And it wasn't that long ago. And it wasn't that long ago. And it's, it's very likely, it's very plausible that you can get to that state again right since you've had it before interesting no i, I totally agree that I we can create with your back you, you're, yeah. you're like hey i want to get my, my my back to where it was right before the century right? right yeah no we can totally create our own light i mean uh dude if i i have had like some down moments i don't want to call them depressive because I don't, you know it's not i've been depressed before and it's not 
as bad as how I felt in the past. What's the difference? And because I've been I've been ruminating on this a lot lately. Uh, to Self- me, the I, I, first sure. time in my life. Mm-hmm. I've, I've felt depressed the, these last four months. I've never experienced depression in my life before. Yeah. And to me, it's like almost this chemical imbalance. Mm-hmm. And I think obviously when your gut, your gut has uh, manipulated 70% of your hormones. So mm-hmm. when that's out of whack, your hormones get out of whack, your serotonin production, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and to me, it's different from like sadness or despair mm-hmm. or melancholy. Yeah. So, how would you best describe what you're feeling now and contrast that maybe a little bit to when you felt depressed? Yeah, I think it's the difference between uh, not wanting to get out of bed and then having self-pity. For me, that's what I'm referring to specifically. Oh, okay. So sitting in bed, um, I mean, those first couple weeks, man, like trying to get up. I mean, Mariah literally had to like help me sit up. Mm-hmm. Um, she still does, actually. I mean, it's I this last week I have been pushing through the pain a little bit more and just not realizing how that actually hurts me in the long run. And it makes the pain worse. That's why I was experiencing the 10 out of pain, uh, last week. But, but for me, uh, when I start to see, or when I start to feel that self pity, um, getting, getting back to the, how we can create our own light. I don't dwell on the, Oh, poor me, my back, and oh, by the way, my dandruff has been out of control. And oh, by the way, I kind of had that cough. And oh, like I could really start to snowball this this self pity, which maybe could turn into into true depression. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, the way that I create that light at the end of the tunnel for myself is exactly what I just described. It's kind of looking forward to knowing that yes, my back. All the doctors are telling me I'm going to be 100. percent uh, you know, and it, by the time I heal up and might have to do some yoga or physical therapy because, you know, I haven't really been bending over. So I'm sure um, I couldn't touch my toes right now if my back was all healed up. I'll have to probably go through a little bit of that. But but just being able to and, and stop that thought of, oh, poor me. Mm. Oh, what have I done to myself? Oh, the freaking hospital bill is, C- dude, a C, uh, CAT scan, yeah, no, or CT scan. scan. $5,000 is what a CT scan call, costs yeah. in the emergency room. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I had one a few years ago, and, and I even having it scheduled out was over $2,000. And I could, I'd like, I get down thinking about that. It's like, man, like, I've got, I'm going to have a, my deductible is $6,000. I'm going to have a $6,000 medical bill I got to pay. Oh. Um, it's, it, I could, I could get down on that. Sure. But, but again, even with that, I can look at that and say, hey, Ryan, you have an emergency fund. Like, you are prepared for emergencies this is exactly why you have (laughs) an emergency fund (laughs) is in case of an emergency and you have this emergency so i guess i'm just trying to say that yes when we feel down um instead of wallowing in the Uh self-pity like we can start to just look at the bright side of of what our life is and and I, i mean i can certainly do that now i think depression People, some people are clinically depressed. Right, you're not going to talk yourself out of being clinically depressed. Right, and that's the sadly, I think we use that word depression to describe melancholy or sadness, mm. self pity. Yeah. Now, the the thing you're talking about, I think the opposite is is also true. What we often do when we get depressed is we look for other things. Or I'm sorry, when we get melancholy, we feel despair, not depressed. When we, uh, or also when we get depressed, but when we just get sad, we look for other things to make us sad. We yeah, start listening to sad exactly. music. The snowball. Right. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, we you don't snowball your way out of sadness. No. Is that the episode title, Sean? Snowball of <laughs> sadness snowball? Um, yeah. And, and so what you're talking about, instead of looking, because it's easy to start looking for the other things that are screwed up. Mm-hmm. 
and, and I, I found that especially people who uh, are in good positions uh, we're always looking I've seen this in the NBA right now mm-hmm. NBA basketball like the, the people who are it's like they're in the most ideal scenarios they could possibly be in like they're a star on you know Anthony Davis is on the, the Pelicans or whatever and mm-hmm. and he, of course he's not happy with his situation there he wants mm-hmm. to go to some other team or whatever right and we're that I think that is some sort of default setting where it's like everything's going great so I'm gonna find something mm-hmm. that I can be upset about mm. being upset quite often is a luxury yeah and and uh, we often look for it we, it's we watch sad movies we see yeah. we, we listen to sad songs we we read stories about depression or whatever because our life is so good let me get a window into that that other emotion we feel depressed and then we start to do depressed mm, yeah. yeah and yeah. and so our actions then follow the the feelings right yeah. but then the opposite is true what you were saying is if you're able to f- to find the the crack of light and follow that then your actions follow the 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 crack of light they follow the yeah. uh the contentment the joy the gratitude the appreciation the acceptance and in fact i i was on an airplane this past week and i wrote this essay that you saw ryan habitual complaining mm, yeah and it's it's relatively short it's the quickest thing i've ever written in my life i was i wrote it on airplane on my phone you know how terrible i am at typing on that right. stupid that's, iphone that's impressive i still miss my blackberry rest in peace <laughs> Uh, This is called habitual complaining. I just want to talk to you about it real quick because it just stood out to me. Uh, Because I feel like I right now I have something I can I can legitimately complain about if I wanted to, but it's not very helpful. I try to avoid. Our our accountant called me yesterday about something. He's like, "How you doing?" I'm like, "He's like, how's your health right now?" Mm. And I said, "Honestly, man, I don't want to bother you with it. It's I just want you know it's not going. It's not going really well." Yeah. He's like, "Oh damn." He's like, "I, "I just really care about you. That's why I'm asking." And well, because yeah. the, the the other thing is, I like, well, you got five minutes, so I can complain to you. Mm-hmm. I don't want to bring other people down, right? But at the same time, I don't want to be disingenuous, and that that actually, in a weird way, that perpetuates the cycle for me. So maybe, I don't know, maybe you have some advice on, on mm-hmm. this, because you know, how so? Generally, I'm Mister Outstanding. Yeah. How you doing? I'm outstanding. Yeah. Like even if things aren't a hundred percent, yeah, I find the outstanding in it. The yeah. what truly stands out. Absolutely. And lately, I have not been that, but I find that if I affect a smile especially the people i i am closest to mm-hmm. it feels disingenuous to me it feels like i'm lying mm. almost yeah well it's i think we're all a little disingenuous when it comes to that i mean we're all trying to put on our best face and we're trying to give people our best right so you know when you're smiling when you don't really feel like smiling if anything i'd say that's genuine because you are still trying to put the best of Josh forward. Mm-hmm. It's not, um, to me, that's not dis- disingenuous. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think habit- habitual complaining is maybe another way to look at it too is uh, someone playing a victim. Someone yes. someone really playing that victim role. Right, and I I worry that that's where I don't want to go basically. Right. Like, I don't want to be the victim. And right? I think that's where it's, that's where it's detrimental is when someone plays the victim and then they feel cozy in that role Mm -hmm. to play a victim. Oh, look at all the attention I'm getting. So yeah, I think that, um, the, the amount of complaining that you do 
uh, it's not really complaining. It's more like, hey, here's where I'm at with my health. Mm. It's like kind of a, you know, you're, you're, you're putting uh, people's, uh, you're letting them know your pulse, you know? Yeah. It's not like you are, you know, on Twitter. Oh, terrible day today. Don't ask. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like hashtag woe is me. Right. Yeah. So, so I noticed a whole lot of complaining on this flight that I was on. So this is what I wrote. Overheard on a flight yesterday. This plane is taking too long. This bag is so freaking heavy. This drink would be better over ice. <laughs> Literally heard that. These aren't benign observations. They are sneaky complaints. We all do it. We bad mouths. We bad mouth life's banalities. The weather, the long lines, the technologies that work imperfectly. We feel compelled to announce our dissatisfaction with every blemish dragging others into our vortex of vexation. Even when we don't fret aloud, we murmur under our breath or let the pessimistic thoughts stew until they become a stifling atmosphere of toxicity. Over time, these noxious judgments poison our days, our lives. With each complaint, it's as if we're Yelp rating our experience of life. Mm. This is how I, I, when I saw these people complain on the plane, like the the, it's taking too long. It's like one star, one star. When yeah. you, in fact, I seek out the one stars on, on most places that I, I look up on Yelp because mm -hmm. I, I know that a lot of the people have unreasonable expectations right. who are leaving the, the one star reviews, right? Yeah. So it's as if we're Yelp rating our experience of life. One star, one star, one star. Imagine a restaurant barraged by dozens of negative reviews every day. How would that affect them? So yeah, Ryan, you and I have a coffee shop down in St. Petersburg, Florida. Yes, and we it, have a few one-star reviews. Yeah, we do have we have a couple down there for sure. It's uh, the one-star reviews we want, though. <laughs> right. I mean, it, there are some. It, whenever we get a negative review, we take it seriously. Of course. Unless we can, uh, we can look ourselves in the mirror and say, "Oh, that was unreasonable." Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, but imagine if every day, every person—well, not every person, but every other person, every third person, every fifth person—left a one-star review every day. One star, one star, mm -hmm. one star, one star. Yeah, that would terribly affect us, right? Yeah, absolutely. But isn't that what we're doing with our everyday lives now? When it's a complaint after complaint after complaint, I'm rating my experience of life. Like, oh, this was terrible. This was crappy. This is shitty. Uh, over and over and over, we're constantly giving our experience of life one star, and that doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. If you want to be happy, part of being happy cannot cannot involve feeling bad constantly. Yeah, right? happiness does not involve uh, habitual complaining. Absolutely. Right. And in a weird way, though, I think we do it. We do the complaining mm -hmm. to feel happier. Mm. It's yeah. the it's the the tearing down of everyone else's building, yeah. right? In order for ours to be the tallest. Well, I mean, there's also that problem of the what do they call it? The treadmill, the hedonic treadmill, hedonic treadmill, yeah. where you know you have a certain like money, for example. Let's go back to money buys happiness. This Times article mm -hmm. for a homeless person with no insurance, with no home, with you know no car, mm -hmm. no job. Like money will absolutely provide some things for them that will provide a better quality of life. Better, certainly will bring them closer to the good life. It has the potential to give them a better quality of life because the opposite is also true with the with monks. Mm. Monks who own nothing mm -hmm. 
Um, and you look at some of the, especially the monks, there are a lot of monks who don't meditate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but monks who meditate yeah. uh, have uh, some of the most, uh, they're the hap- some of the happiest people Absolutely, on earth. Yeah. And they're living some of the most meaningful lives, even though they, they don't take very many actions. And they're not changing the world, they're changing their world. Yeah. And it's the problem I have with the argument of happiness, thinking we can buy it. I love what you just said. Mm. You, you said that it improves their the potential for their quality of life right and and in a way i think that what you're talking about there is it increases their level of certainty yes that you can have uh, having a certain amount of money increases your certainty somewhat however certainty is obviously a mis- misnomer mm-hmm. there uh who was the multi-billionaire um man i think he it was when the stock market crashed and he went from uh 11 billion to to three billion. Oh, killed himself. No way. Yeah. Lo- and, and I mean, if I lost eight billion dollars in my current state right now, uh-huh. I mean, I'd be pretty upset. <laughs> but I wouldn't be like, yeah. Oh, that's unfortunate. But again, but it goes back to that hedonic treadmill. We build our lives right. to a certain uh, to a certain level to a certain expectation, uh-huh. and then all of a sudden, when that expectation doesn't get meet, we start to get peeved. Right. We start to get annoyed, or uh, if you lose, you know, more than half of your wealth, then uh, then you start to get depressed. But like the person complaining about the ice in their drink, if they just got out of the desert and they were lost for a week, mm-hmm. and they had something to drink, like there's no way they would be like, oh, yeah, no, I this would be better. This over would be ice. Oh, better over ice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and well, okay, so. So yeah, that 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 person is an extreme example. The other extreme example is the billionaire. But most of us would be perfectly happy with only three billion dollars. Yes. In fact, we we would run into other problems. Like I don't know what to do with this. I mean, most mm-hmm. people who have a billion dollars um, don't know what to do with that money. I mean, there's right. what twenty two, twenty two hundred of them in the entire world, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so they don't know what to do with that money, and that's why you have people like Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or whomever who are like figuring out effective ways to to allocate their money or at least trying to right yeah uh, whether you know wh- whatever your thoughts are about th- those two individuals um and for some people though it's like i have only three billion dollars now my life is over yeah. it becomes perspectival wow. and the hedonic treadmill as you said like i i noticed for me um the last few times I'd flown, I got upgraded to first class because you and I were flying so much back in 2017, and, mm-hmm. and then we flew a decent amount in 2018. Yeah, and so I got upgraded to first class. Got that platinum status. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I don't know, maybe four or six flights in a row, where every wow. time it was like first class, first class, first class, and I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah. And there was one time where like there, you want to pay twenty nine dollars. I'm like, yeah, of course I do. Yeah. Twenty nine bucks, okay. Um, and so I was in first class several times and I was flying this past weekend and I was back, back with the, the peons back in sky comfort. <laughs> no, it wasn't even that I was on Alaska. <laughs> oh, so I was holding on to the propeller. Um, no, I was, but I was just, you know, I was back toward the back of the plane with everyone else and, mm-hmm. and which has always been fine. It's like, Oh my God, it's a miracle. I'm flying and I don't have to drive to Montana in the winter. But that's important. What you just mentioned. Like when we, when our life starts to go below that level uh-huh. that we've become accustomed to expect uh-huh. is we have to find 
that silver lining or that light at the end of the tunnel of like, I'm still going to be able to get back to LA, uh, you know, within one hour, whereas opposed to a hundred years ago, um, I'd have to take, you know, a, a wagon and horses and I might get dysentery on the way and it's going to take me three or four weeks to get there. Yeah. 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 And, and so, but for me, my first twinge was like, cause I, I was like trying to figure out how much more would it be for first class? And it was like $400. I'm like, I'm not paying that. It's It's more than this flight. This flight's $233. I'm not, yeah. I, I'm not you know, tripling the cost of this flight so I can have a slightly more plush seat and, and, uh, uh I don't Free know. drinks. Which you get anyway in the other area, right? <laughs> Faster free drinks, I guess. Yeah. And boarding sooner. But, like, why do I need to board sooner? Like, we're all leaving at the same time. Yeah. But in my mind, I was losing something. Mm. Even though I wasn't losing anything at all. Yeah. I was gaining so much, but I had to put it in perspective. And I was sitting there, and then all of a sudden, what put it in perspective for me was all of this complaining. Mm. And so... Uh, we're Yelp rating. Like, how does the juggernaut of negativity affect us? The person who's regularly disgruntled by their circumstances rather than grateful for what they have has found the perfect recipe for discontent. Yeah. So if we're always complaining, that is the perfect recipe to be discontented with the experience of life, with your situation, with what you have. Mm. Most complaining, however, is habitual. And that's good news. Because it's entirely possible to break bad habits, as mm. we learned with James Clear. And he talks about breaking bad habits on our episode with him, the habits episode we did at the beginning of the year. Um, because complaining becomes habitual, I think we don't even realize we're doing it, right? Yeah. It just happens, happens, happens. The lady who said, uh, this would be better over ice, she mm. didn't, like, and the way she even said it, like, you could tell she was just complaining. Like, she needed something to complain about because yeah. it's, it's like, it's fulfilling that habit, right? And, um, and that's good news, though, because if it's a bad habit, it means we can we can break the bad habit. Yeah. And so I came with this acronym, Ryan, A-C-A, accept, change, and appreciate. Mm. Um, first, we must accept the unchangeables. The plane will get there when it gets there. Belly aching won't alter its arrival. Instead, smile, breathe, and bask in acceptance. And that was one thing I had to do. As silly as it sounds, like, oh, I'm back here in, in coach again. Even though that's all I'd flown pretty much my entire life, mm -hmm. um, and now I'm back here again, like okay, like that's let's accept that, let's bask in the acceptance, mm -hmm. and it's totally fine. Uh, so, accept the unchangeables. There are some things we can't change. So the serenity prayer, right, is mm -hmm. like uh, uh, grant me the serenity to what change the things I accept the things I cannot change, change the things I can, and yeah. and give me the wisdom to know the difference. Um, Amen. <laughs> uh, then we must change the changeables right so if that bag is too heavy consider asking for help i heard the the uh lady who said you know this bag is so freaking heavy and there are the two things that, that she could have done there is well uh she could ask for help and i just offered help hey can i put that up oh yeah thank you so much mm. or pack more lightly right i mean we're mm. often packing metaphorically our whole lives full of stuff that mm. we can subtract from and having a, a lighter bag will certainly make you smile was the point i, I brought up in this essay Absolutely. having yeah. a lighter load yeah finally we must appreciate what we have true that drink may not be perfect but we can smile and be grateful we're not thirsty in virtually every scenario a smile is more useful than a snivel and i guess that's where i'm going when i when i say when I, I don't want to complain to my friends. Uh, Adam Dressler just reached out to me this uh, this morning. He was like, "How you doing?" Like, I was avoiding uh, 
talking to him on the phone because I just don't want to complain. And I just I told him that I'm like, hey man, like I'm I'm going through some health stuff. He knows about it, but like I don't feel like regurgitating all of it right now over the phone. And he texts me this morning. He's like, how you doing? And I'm like, shit. Like, how do I smile and not snivel? Yeah. Um, how do I be joyous and not complain? And it's it's hard, man. It, yeah. it really is. Times like this that are trying, mm-hmm. even the most trying times, it's, it is possible to appreciate. It's just a lot more difficult. But it's also more necessary now than ever, right? Yeah. Because it's easier to be happy when everything's going great. Yeah. When your back doesn't hurt and you're on the slopes. Yeah. It's easier. Yeah. It's funny, man. Like people... Uh, when they, you know, found out I, I broke my back, I would get these really like, oh my God, I'm so sorry about this tragedy that's happened in your life. And oh my goodness. And, you know, all like this very, very, um, concerned message, which, you know, I appreciate people concerning, but I always respond back. It's all right. I'm going to be a hundred percent in about three months. I'll be mm. tip top soon enough. Like, yeah, mm. it's a lot of pain right now, but I'm going to be a lot better in three months. That's beautiful. And man. I, I think like that is that is the appropriate response. Yes, I'm in pain right now. It sucks, but it ain't going to last forever. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's dive into some of these questions about happiness from our patrons, Ryan. Yeah. Owen Owen asks, I'm separated, single, and happy, I think. Mm. I can live my life how I want, and I co-parent amicably with my ex. Sometimes I'm happy on my own, but sometimes I feel a loneliness or void where I wish I had a partner to share my life with. Mm. Josh men- mentioned that he was not, quote, looking when he found Bex. How can you be sure you are happy if you don't know what you haven't found yet? Well, I think it's totally possible for me to be happy with Bex. Mm-hmm. It's totally possible for me to be happy without Bex. Yeah. And I don't want my happiness to rely on the external yeah. uh, factors those external factors enhance what we already have going on right now in fact uh, when I struggle with misery right now let's just call it misery whether it's sadness depression whatever mm-hmm. when I'm feeling these, these gut pains and diarrhea every day mm-hmm. and, and all of these these issues being with Bex sometimes makes it worse mm. because I care so much about her yeah. And I don't want to be a burden on her. Yeah. So in a way, if I could just go be on my own, it'd be like, well, at least I wouldn't be a burden on someone else. Mm-hmm. I feel that with you as well, where I'm like, man, like, I feel like I've added a lot of value to the minimalist up to this point. But right now, I just want to like, I don't want to do anything. I don't feel compelled to do anything. Mm-hmm. You and I, um, we we got a book that we're working on. We can talk about this with our patrons. We're not announcing it publicly yet. Mm-hmm. But um, we we did a book contract and and uh, man, it's it, it's called Love People Use Things, mm-hmm. and we're gonna be talking about happiness in there. We're talking about the seven different relationships we have in our life, mm-hmm. um, and and not just like people relationships, but our relationship with money and our relationship with our values, mm-hmm. and uh, I can't work on it right now. Yeah. I've had to pause it and I had to contact the publisher and say, Hey, look, this is something I can't work on right now. Here's why. Here's what I'm going through. I had to reach out to our book agent. Same thing. 
here's what we're going through right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, to boot, Ryan destroyed his back, and he'll be out of commission for, <laughs> uh, for you know, a few months. Yeah, um, yeah, another month or two. Right, yeah. right, and and hopefully, my, I believe that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. The times that I feel despair is when I don't feel there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it's um, we're I think the. We also do that with happiness, right? Happiness will be right around this corner. Yeah. If I just buy this Lexus, if I just buy this dog toy, if I just buy this dog, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, like if, if I just do this, if I just have a partner, mm-hmm. that's where happiness is. Mm-hmm. And Owen, that is not where happiness is. Yeah. You're already there. Right. And the other things that you bring in, nothing inherently wrong with a Lexus. If you want to buy one, have at it. Mm-hmm. Just don't think it's going to make you happy. Right. It may amplify your experience of life. It may add additional comfort to your life. Mm-hmm. It might also attract some people you don't want to attract into your life. Mm-hmm. So you have to think about that as well. Yeah. So I think you need to find the happiness first. Absolutely. Before you find the partner that's going to, quote, make you happy. Yeah. I mean, that's when I think about how I took the approach of uh, you know, finding Mariah, like going online and doing the whole online dating thing. It was, I was very, um, deliberate with the person I brought into my life and it wasn't because I needed to bring someone in to be happy, but it was like, I had already reached this point of, of, uh, you know, relatively happiness. That doesn't mean that, um, I was waking up manic every single morning uh, it doesn't, you know, I was elated every single day, but I had reached a point in my life where like I did wake up every morning and I'm like, man, it's really awesome to be, be living this life that I'm living. Mm. And so to, gratitude. yeah. So to, to find someone to complement that life rather than find someone to complete my life. Um, I, yeah, I totally agree with you, man. And I think when you do put your happiness onto someone else, I mean, you're, you're playing a dangerous game. Mm. What if that person has a heart attack and dies? Right. Um, you're no what longer if, allowed to be happy. What if they leave you? Yeah, it's like all of a sudden now you're no longer allowed to be happy because of this this rule that you have put in place. And, and, and it's also the same with the career. Mm-hmm. What if you lose your job? Or what if the book you write... You know, for me, the I wrote a novel in my 20s that I published when I was 30 mm. and as a decade fades. And... Like for me, that I thought like it was the best thing I ever written up up to that point. I thought it was going to be huge, mm. and because my expectations were so high, it in a weird way failed in my mind. Mm. Right, even though it did fairly well, it sold six thousand copies. Mm. That's yeah. pretty great. That's awesome. Um, it helped me. It actually, from that book is what I used to end off end up paying off the rest of my debt. Mm. So. In, in a way, it was a big win because what's more freeing than financial freedom, right? Right. It was a huge win, but because my expectation was wrong, I think that's where Owen is right now. Mm-hmm. If the expectation is, because by the way, financial freedom isn't going to make you happy. Yeah. Um, it's going to set up the arena for it to be easier to be happy because maybe you're not going to be tied to the career you hate or maybe you're not going to be tied to the... Um, uh, uh, um, lifestyle that you were living before that you had to keep up with and so it 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 provides that landscape upon the foundation upon which you can build a a happiness but that happiness has to do with being happy right now yeah in the moment i think for me man the when i finally 
I, man, I don't want to say like I finally like did it and found happiness. Uh-huh. Um, or even contentment because contentment can be kind of dangerous. But I guess satisfied. Let's call it sat- grateful. Let's call it that. Um, when, I f- when I finally just accepted that I am entitled to nothing. Like I literally am entitled to, I'm not born entitled to anything. Right. And uh, it's once I've accepted that, um, it's a lot easier for me to be happy in the moment. Well, because every, if you're not entitled to anything, then everything you get becomes a, a sort of blessing. Right. And, and you, you, you say the word gratitude there or appreciation, mm-hmm. th- that is to me a much better marker uh, than happiness, yeah. than pleasure. Mm-hmm. We all want pleasure, but you can't have perpetual pleasure. It doesn't exist. Right. The 24-hour orgasm actually sounds like a terrible thing yeah. when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I might want to try that for a day, but I can guarantee you afterward... <laughs> are, people have that issue, actually. Right. There, there yeah. are people who have like two, 300 orgasms a day. It's right. a medical condition. Yeah. And... It is terrifying. Yeah. I, I, and they also have like the worst. I, I, I heard a guy who was being interviewed who had this. Like he's at his dad's funeral. Wow. And like had nine orgasms at the funeral and like couldn't help it. It's uncontrollable. Right. That sounds terrible. So happiness is also contextual. Yeah. Like having uh, an orgasm is that pleasurable? Well, it depends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not if you're at your dad's funeral. Right. That's the wrong response. Right. And, and although he couldn't help it, so it's got to be psychologically confusing and, and a whole bunch of other things as well. So, uh, yeah, find the happiness now and then find the partner. That can complement your happiness that you have, yeah. Absolutely. Totally our, agree with that. Our next question is from Wretched Alien. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, not sure if this is a happiness question, but it is a question that I want to get off my chest. I joined a new company, and no matter how hard I try to integrate and add value, I just get left out at the door, and now there, and now there are colleagues who get into my past and, scrut- and scrutinize my past, then bitch about it. I have a past. It is not glorious. I get that, but my question is, when is it time to, to actually say, I am done with this job, and I should move on? Mm-hmm. Hope you guys can enlighten me. Hmm. Well, uh... This is a happiness question because you're discontented by your current circumstances. Right. You know the uh, hip hop DJ Charlemagne the God. Yes, he uh, he has a great podcast called Brilliant Idiots, and Andrew Schultz has agreed to be on our podcast in the next month or two. That's awesome. Uh, he's the other brilliant idiot. He's a, a hilarious stand-up comic. If you want to be offended, check out his work. Um, <laughs> but um, he uh, Charlemagne in his book he he. Uh, he talks about black privilege. That's the title of the book. Mm. But it, this is him flipping around where he's like he's like saying, uh, being born black put me in a, a position of non-privilege, of, of without privilege. Mm-hmm. But let me find the areas where I can say I have some sort of privilege. It doesn't mean that other privileges don't exist. But let me, if I'm entitled to nothing, mm-hmm. what are the things I can appreciate? Yeah. And one of his sort of life principles, Ryan, is, is he talks about, uh, live your truth so no one can use it against you. Right. And that's what we've done with the minimalists to a great extent. I talk about um, owning Lexuses and, and not being happy about that now. And mm-hmm. it's not, I don't hide what happened in my path, past. Right. And so I think if you live your truth, if you bring it out there, uh, look at Charlie Sheen. Yeah. 
Charlie Sheen was living a life of a lie mm. for a long time and, and hiding HIV and and um, and then uh, potentially infecting other people with it or at mm. least having sex with other people and hiding that from from them. What a terrible life. What a miserable life. Uh, a life of skeletons in the closet. Yeah. But once he came forward, he did a Today Show interview and, and he was living his truth for the first time. Right. And there's the uh, David Foster Wallace quote from Infinite Jest. The truth will set you free, but not until it has its way with you. Right. So yeah, it will set you free. But right now, with Wretched Alien, it's having its way with you. Yeah. Because you're you're being forced to confront your truth of your past for the first time. And guess what? We all have checkered pasts. Mm -hmm. And people who act like they don't, I am especially suspicious of. Because then it comes out that they end up being someone like Bill Cosby. Yeah. Or R. Kelly. Right. Or, you know, whomever. You yeah. know, name, name other person here where they were so squeaky clean you know bill bill Cosby's out there telling people to pull up their pants and mm -hmm. stop using profanity right meanwhile he's drugging and raping women Golly. yeah and and talk about having an, a real past how does that compare to wretched aliens past my guess is you look at that and you're like oh i don't really have a past at all right and that's the thing we have to think about yes you are not who you were you are an amalgamation of everything that's led you up to this point, mm -hmm. but the past does not equal the future. Yeah. And for you, yes, you might have to move forward and, and you might have to get a new job. It might make sense if you were around toxic people, but if you live, if you live your truth, you accept your truth for what it is, mm -hmm. no one can use it against you. Absolutely. I think it's an interesting question. He, he posited there too, about how do you know the right time to leave your job? I mean, that is, um, it's funny because when we find ourselves in an unhappy situation, it's very easy to blame our job or it's, or it's, it's easy to blame just work in general. We find one, one big thing to blame. Yeah. Job geography. can be another one. Yeah. Um, and we, we think oh, I make this one change is going to change everything. Yeah. It may be a catalyst, but it also may be that we're actually covering up the, the, the actual problem. Yeah. I mean, I, if, I guess if I was talking to this person directly, this alien, if I was talking to them directly, I would ask them like, what is that job? What is it doing for you? Mm. And they might say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's simply a means to an end. I'm, I get to pay my bills and I get to travel and whatever. I, I, I am making money mm -hmm. and that is what this job does. If that is the only thing that your job is doing and you want to find some more meaningful work, then uh, you have to do a lot of work to find something else to move towards. It doesn't mean to quit your job and start a blog, but when is the right time to leave you know, your job? It's, it's when you can look at all the work that you've put in. It's led up to this other point in your life, and now you know that you can leave your current role and then switch over to this other role and still provide for yourself. I mean, it, it just basically finding a replacement. As soon as you find that replacement, like that, that to me is when, you know, the right time to leave your job. When I got laid off, you know, it <clears throat> wasn't necessarily the right time, but it was something that I had been anticipating. You know, if I didn't get laid off in, you know, that, that uh, fall of, I think it was 2011. Yeah, it was. Um, then I probably would have left at the beginning of the year 2012. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I was leading up to that point. So when I got 
or with at least within the next year, and you you sure. would have you were developing a plan. But of course, I think what you're saying there is there was never a perfect time to leave. Right. We mistake right for perfect. Yeah. What is the right time? We we're often asking ourselves, when's the perfect time? Well, I have I have some news for you, wretched alien. That there is not a perfect time. The the question is, what are the the pros and cons here? But also, when when you are maybe let me ask you this, Ryan. Hmm. Um, I think quite often the language we give about our past, it colors our present in a way. So even words like, um, what, what did Owen say in the previous question? Uh, I co-parent amicably with my ex. I don't call my former spouse, my ex-wife. Mm. I call her my former spouse mm. because ex-wife has a particular connotation yeah. with it. Right. Yeah. And I think the same is true with what wretched alien is saying here with, um, uh, the, the, they scrutinize my past and then bitch about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means exactly. They bitch about it, but maybe, maybe they're complaining about it. That's a softer word to use. And, and, and then wretched Ellen says, I have a past. It is not glorious. Well, okay. It's not glorious, but maybe the lessons from the past are glorious. Yeah. The whole novel that I wrote was sort of about that. It was about ruminating in the past and trying mm-hmm. to cling to it. But we were talking about the meditation thing earlier Clinging to the past is impossible. We can only keep drudging up the memories from the past. Just the same way you can't cling to that car horn that just went by. It is gone. You can't keep hearing it unless you recorded it. And that's what our memories are in a way. It's like having a, a recording of mm. of these uh, these past experiences and replaying it. The problem with the memories are we replay it in a way that isn't the actual way that it transpired. Here's the other thing to think about. People don't care about you as much as you think they care about you. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> No, that's absolutely true. They might gossip about you, and if they do, well, here's the thing: if they gossip to you, they're definitely gossiping about you. I yeah. don't, I, I don't fuck with those kind of people at yeah. all. Goodbye, yeah. you're out of my life. Yeah. You're gossiping to me, then you're gossiping about me, right. and you are gone. There are plenty of people who gossip about me. I don't know them because mm-hmm. you know we have an online presence, and and there are a lot of people who like to say a lot of vicious things about the minimalists. Yeah, yeah. And that's okay. You can do that. You just don't have permission to come into my home or into my head. Right. And I'm not going to ruminate on. The shitheads, essentially. Right. Yeah. So you might have to put yourself into a different position. It doesn't mean immediately walking away, running into your boss's office saying, screw you, I quit, I'm leaving. No, it means what does happiness look like for me? What does gratitude look like for me? Mm-hmm. And then what is the idea? How can I be happy, grateful? Mm-hmm. How can I be grateful with the current situation I'm in? What do I have to be grateful about? Mm-hmm. And then what do I want to set my life up to look like around the corner what is that light at the end of the tunnel what do the people look like who i want to surround myself with because clearly it's not these gossiping idiots at your work who are just saying stuff about your past i know ryan has a past he knows i have a past we've been really upfront about that and it is so freeing and maybe if you can be freeing it'll help you out emily asks i have a happiness question even though research has proved has proven that money doesn't buy happiness after we have that money doesn't buy happiness after we have met our basic monetary needs how can we remind ourselves of this when culture sends a different message um well you're doing it right now you're asking questions yeah uh we have to ask questions about uh is that lexus on the billboard going to make me happy right well it's interesting this article that you sent over josh uh where's this from 
Outside. Outside magazine. It's called Do uh, uh Yeah, the, the, the dark, dark Horse Path the, to Happiness. Yes. Um, one of the things that they talk about is this this dark horse. Um, I don't know why they use that term dark horse. Maybe we should explain that first. Yeah. So so dark horse just means uh, uh, little known. Okay. The little known path to happiness would be another way to to describe it. So what what they posit here is that the, you know the dark horse they focus on accomplishing the things that matter most to them. And they don't compare themselves to others or conventional definitions of success. And that's exactly what this question is addressing. Mm. Uh, how do we not, or uh, yeah, how do we not uh, be depressed or how do we not be sad when there are these, you know, conventional ways of being happy thrown in our faces constantly? The Lexus, the, the trip, the promotion, the, the right type of friends, the right clothes to wear, all these things. Um, yes, like we have to find a way to disconnect from comparing our lives to lives that are presented to us through mass marketing. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's the, the, our friend Rachel Cruz, mm -hmm. live your life, not theirs. Amen. And right now, maybe the question for you to ask yourself, Emily, is, is this my life or is this someone else's idealized life? And, uh, it's funny because I, I think about like all the things that, when we were, remember us in high school, Ryan? It was me, you, my brother Jerome, and your best friend growing up, Pacho. Yeah. Um, we looked like a Harvard diversity poster. <laughs> we just needed like you know, an Asian girl to be part of it. Right. Um, and it was like me, the really pale, uh, Germanic looking kid, you, the Greek kid, um, <laughs> and then yeah, Jerome, my brother's black, and then Pacho's Hispanic. And um, I, I remember. Uh, us like this 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 little collective and the things that we yearned for then the things that would make us happy then are so silly to me now that even if you you couldn't pay me to take the things i used to pay for yeah yeah and uh the uh, wanting the new heli hansen jacket or right. uh tommy hilfiger puffer coat which all that stuff's back in style now i should have held on to it right <laughs> it's a collectible um and and so the the things that these were all things that society the 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 culture that we were raised in told us that we wanted right mm-hmm and the same way people want gold chains or gold watches or luxury cars or McMansions or granite countertops or whatever else, there's nothing wrong with those things if that's what you want. Right. But the question is, is that what, is that you, what you want? want? Yeah. You know what's funny? So so the question is, is how do you get past all of this, uh, all of this marketing basically thrown our way? Um, well, before I read this this sentence from this article. First thing first, like get rid of as many advertisements as possible. Yeah. Get a pop-up blocker. Stop your subscription to magazines. Mm -hmm. um, mute the commercials. Fast uh, forward. Yeah, fast forward the commercials. I mean, th the more advertisements we have in our lives, I mean, the more our subconscious is going to be affected by what we think we need versus well, versus what we actually need and then as they come in recognize them for what they are because you're gonna have so far fewer of them all of a sudden you can realize like oh crap this podcast is a half hour long but it had eight commercials in it yeah we were just talking about that this morning right. before we started recording right like we were listening to this podcast and, and prep for an episode and, and it was like a half hour podcast with 
eight advertisements? Well, maybe ten. Yeah, that's. It's because we've turned down the volume so much. Mm. I, I love that advice. What else? Yeah. So, so this article, um, and just going back to the sentence I previously read about, they focus on accomplishing the things that matter most. You've got to get clear on what matters most to you. Mm. And I promise you, it isn't a Lexus. And I promise you, it isn't a nice vacation. Uh, I mean, these things accent our lives. They are not. Uh, they are not our lives. So get clear on what it is that matters most to you. And this, this uh, sentence in the following paragraph, it says, uh, what we found in dark horses is that they focus incredibly on what matters to them and what motivates them and use that as a bias for their, for their identity. What matters to them. Right. And it's, and, and you know, it's not a matter of, it goes on to say, it's not a matter of a dark horse being rebellious for the sake of being rebellious. You know, we don't want to just say, oh, screw society, screw the man. It's not about being rebellious for the sake of being rebe- rebellious. It's just that dark horses care so much about their work and they care so much about their values that they don't take much time or energy paying attention to what others think. They do their work, they live their lives, lives because it's right to them. And when you do that, I mean, that's another, that's a really long-winded way of saying like your short-term actions have to align with your long-term values, your long-term beliefs. That is, to me, that is what, um, that's what creates room for happiness. It doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't equal happiness, but it it creates room for happiness to enter your life. But if you are making decisions that are going against what you truly believe, what you truly value, then uh, that is, you are blocking happiness from your life. Next week, we're going to talk about um, the sparking joy or uh, tidying up. And we're going we're to talk about gentrification as well. And um, one of the words that they talk about in there is, is uh, cherish. I don't know if you remember that from the first episode of the Tidying Up show. Mm-hmm. And I've got a lot of criticism and a lot of compliments to, to give to that show. Sure. And also the same for gentrification. And we're going to try to tie those two together. But that word cherish, I think, can be a dangerous word, right? Mm. Because, because it means holding on to something in great esteem. It's even more... Uh, I don't know, more more of a detriment than sentimental. Right. Like right. cherishing, yeah, it, that is, yeah, it's a slippery slope. So, so we'll talk about that. Now, Ryan, you, you used a word there. You said that Lex isn't going to make you happy or the house or whatever. It's going to accent your life, right? Mm-hmm. And it's as soon as you said it, it made me think like it's the tinsel on the tree. Right. But imagine having the tinsel without the tree mm-hmm. and i think that's what we're trying to do yeah. right now is we're out there buying all this tinsel but we don't have a tree the yeah, structure a great way of looking at it upon which to hang it yeah if you and, don't have a good foundation like there's nothing to, you're blocking happiness so, uh, uh let's get into one last question here okay. from shelly lipman Shelly says, I'm looking forward to the new format. So are we. We're still figuring it out. So thank you for being with us. Uh, by the way, if you're watching this on video, the $3 patrons, hello to the 3 and $5 patrons, yes. uh, the true fans, etc. We just put a post out there about all of the, uh, the, there's three different tiers now. The $2 tier, most of you have been on the $2 tier. We're giving you way, way, way more podcasts, way more audio for way more of less. Um, for your $2 per episode. So instead of getting the short postscript episode, you're obviously getting these much longer maximal episodes uh, starting with this episode. Uh, $3 patrons, you get the um, uh, video version of the podcast as well as the audio. And the $5 true fan patrons get 
audio, video, and then future recordings of all of our uh, live events, that any of the live events we do in the future, plus Ask the Minimalists Anything every month we do an episode for the, the true fan tier. So you're all getting more of less. Now, Shelly is saying, is, it, is selfishness required to find happiness? I uh, asked because my, did you say no? No, I, I was I was gonna say like I really need to know what she means by selfishness. Right, and I, I think uh, that's a better question. Like, what do you mean by selfish? Because right. I don't think operating in one's self interest is selfish. In mm. fact, it can often be the opposite of if, if we don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Because think about I mean I I think about you know the uh, the stay at home mom who has like four kids who's just giving giving. Giving the hardest working person in America is probably the stay-at-home mom with four or more kids, yeah. and and just giving, giving, giving. Is that operating your own self-interest? No. In fact, you're going to burn out, right. and when you burn out, that is then you can't give anything. It affects everyone around you, yeah. and and so you have to be able to take care of yourself first before you can take care of others. It's mm. the putting the oxygen mask on first so you don't pass out while you're putting one on your child. Yeah. And and so is selfishness required for happiness? No, but I think self-interest is probably required. Operating in your own self-interest, doing, uh, think about this. The, the, the other extreme of that is the person who is just sabotaging their life, right? Yeah. We all know people or have been that person doing this self-sabotage, whether it's drinking too much, smoking, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, that's not looking out for your own self-interest either. It's selfish. Mm -hmm. and, and so here's how I differentiate self-interest from selfishness. Mm -hmm. Self-interest serves the good of yourself so you can serve the greater good. Yeah. Selfishness is detrimental is is your own personal gain at the detriment of the people around you. Yeah. Jordan, what were you going to say? Oh, I thought you had your hand up. Sorry. <laughs> no, I just did like this. So, so the, rest of her, uh, the rest of her question, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Well, the rest of her question says, it, um, I asked because my biggest problem is with time. It seems that whatever I plan, including downtime, goes to hell because someone needs me to do something for them. My family and my work family business seem to always be pulling at me and although their needs are valid i would love to be less available mm. but that feels selfish hmm. ryan you experience this you have you have family issues sure um yeah i mean you want to be there for your family as much as possible but when you start to give more than what you have then uh you've got to let your family know that yeah, are you your best self showing up for these family things right. or are you just getting by? Yeah, and you know, if if your family loves you and wants you to be happy, they're going to support you and they're they're going to to help you uh what were we saying earlier about time? Uh manage your time better or yeah, budget. Budget. Yeah, they're going to help you budget your time better. Yeah. And and you can say I'm unavailable then. <clears throat> yeah. And if someone says what do you have going on, you can say it's personal. Mhm. Mm and you can simply say I'm unavailable then. It's okay to say that. Yes. Um, I did that this weekend with several different phone calls. People were reaching out to me and I just said, hey, I'm unavailable this yeah. weekend. Thanks for understanding. Yeah. I appreciate your support. Yeah. And it's, it's often that simple. Now, 
that's not easy because you're in a pattern right now of saying yes to everything. And right. because you're saying yes to everything, you're saying no to that which is most important. And when you're doing that, that's when you become discontented, you become uh, resentful, mm-hmm. and then you start to have these negative feelings toward the people you have that you care about most. Yeah. And that doesn't put you in a place for winning, for satisfaction, for clarity, for gratitude, for what it means to live a meaningful life. Yeah, it's 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 hard, you know, easier said than done. It's hard to, to tell the people we care about the most no. But I feel like it's also the first people in our lives that it's okay to tell no if we truly need to tell them no. Um, if you're telling them no because you want to like, you know, sit and play video games and eat bonbons and you know whatever else. Then, then yeah, that might be selfish. But if you're saying no, uh, I, I need this to carve this time out so I can focus on the priorities in my life. There are certain priorities that I I, I must put ahead of saying yes to this extra ten hours a week or wh- whatever whatever it is that that they're talking about. It's not selfish at all. Like you said, it's self care. Mm, yeah. So so I I think that you know if if uh, she looks at her. She looks at her situation objectively and, you know, really asks the, that question of, you know, when I'm, when I want to say no to this, is it, is it because I need self-care or is it because, you know, I, I am being selfish like that? You should be able to look at yourself in the mirror and, and be able to differentiate between the two. I would think, what do you think? I, I, I agree with you. And I think the, the, the self-interest thing is, well, self-care thing. We often, man, it's so hard to say no. Mm-hmm. I was at Chipotle the other day, mm. and this guy is like, oh, you're one of the minimalists. I swear to you, I'm sitting there eating my my uh, bowl, and he just like, hey, I'm going to sit down and talk to you. Oh, my God. And so it's hard It's hard to say no to even a stranger yeah. who I'm, I've never met before, mm. had good intentions. Right. And... Uh, you you have to multiply that by a hundred to say no to someone you care about, right? Because there there are actual consequences to that. And I just told the guy like, "Ah, I'm actually just trying to have some alone time right now. Hope you understand. Yeah. Thanks anyway. Yeah. And he was like shocked. Like I didn't want to sit down and have lunch with him. (laughs) Uh, So much so that I still remember it. And they tweet. Did they tweet later? I don't. Milburn is such a selfish person. (laughs) Probably. I mean, (laughs) I, I remember we were at an event in Denver. Uh, and there was like this girl was waiting in line for a, a while and she like, th- th- we were doing a hug line after the event in 2017 or 2015, one of these events. Yeah. And she had like, she wanted to like pitch us on her project or yeah. idea. Like she waited to be last in line. No, she was, was that- first in line. Oh, okay. And she wanted to pitch us on this idea and I'm like, there are 400 people waiting in this line. Right. And she's like, well, I've been waiting in this line for half an hour. I made sure I was, fr-. I'm like... Yeah, and we had to be here for several more hours. Right. We're here. We're not here for this reason she right felt now. Entitled is, to pitch us. <laughs> right. And 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 the I, the circumstances become really strange because we get into a pattern of asking for things that are difficult. We don't even realize we're asking for it. Yeah. That's and true. I think that's where your family is right now, yeah. Emily or uh, Shelley rather. Your your family is like, well. Shelly's going to be there for me. And Ryan, you experience this with your family because mm-hmm. you're the, you're the rock in your family. You're, sure. you're the, you're the steady person mm-hmm. out of everyone in your family. And so they rely on you. There, there's oh, an old corporate apathy. To a detriment. Yeah. It's like, um, 
you know, I'm not going to call out specific family members, but family, they call and ask for money. And, uh, yeah, Emily, <laughs> Just kidding. and, um, I really love to contribute as much as I can, but there's sure. a certain point where I'm enabling. Right. And I'm Ooh, at the, and maybe, maybe Shelly is, is yeah. accidentally enabling. enabling. So Shelly, you've got to ask yourself, are you actually helping or, or, or are you enabling? Um, you know, my rule is now is like, I don't, I don't give any money out anymore. I don't do it. Yeah. I don't lend money and I don't give money uh, to anyone who I have already, you know, tried to help out in that way. Um, so, so yes, Shelly, just, yeah, try to figure out whether it's, whether it's actually enabling them or if it, if they truly do need help. And if they truly do need help, mm-hmm. then the solution isn't for Shelly to continue to sacrifice herself. I mean, then if, if they truly need the help, then Shelly has to work out with her family it's not that her family needs help. They all need help. Yeah. Shelly and her family together have to figure out how they can get the help that they need. Maybe it's hiring another person, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it may be. Um, Shelly, if, if it's a business problem that you're truly solving, well, everyone that's part of the business, it's their problem. It's not just your problem. Yeah. And, and I think what's happening here, Ryan, is... Shelly has set up this, there's the old corporate apathom of if you want to get something done, ask a busy person to do it. Right. And that's what's happening with Shelly right now. They're like, Shelly's good at getting these things done. Yeah. And I know she has a lot going on, but what's one more thing for the person who's doing 99 things? A hundredth thing isn't that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. I know Jim over there is only doing 16 things, but it's going to take him much longer to do that. So Shelly, be careful with that. Say no aggressively. Be thankful uh, for the opportunity to say no and also let them know what you're saying yes to when you are saying no. Absolutely. Ryan, I noticed one more question here that I, I missed, let's and this is it. an important one from Shannon. So let's let's finish the episode with this one. All right. She says, I've been struggling a lot lately with my depression and anxiety. Mm. Amen. Me too. I thought minimizing my belongings would help with the anxiety and help me realize a path to take, but I'm not seeing it. Mm. I see different interests I could pursue or paths I could take, but none of it really motivates me for long periods of time. So I stay stuck. I'm married with two kids and work full time and it has been really difficult to be a good wife and mother when I feel like this. I meditate sometimes and work out and while it does help, it doesn't last long. It doesn't feel like I'm missing the why to my life. And I know I'm not satisfied just going through the motions day to day. Any thoughts are appreciated. The line stood out to me here, Ryan. Hmm. She said, I meditate sometimes and I work out. And while it does help, it doesn't last long. It's like meditating once. I meditated this morning. Right. And it's saying, well, I'm set now. My mind is decluttered. Or it's like cleaning your house once and yeah. say, well, my house is clean in perpetuity. Yeah. Going to the gym once and saying, look, I am now fit for life mm. because I lifted all the weights. It doesn't help for long because it's not supposed to help for long. Right. It's setting up the habit of doing it daily and repeating it. Mm-hmm. It limit, you know, it's the, what does uh, um, Dan Harris say about meditating? It makes him 10% happier. Yeah. And he meditates for two hours a day, right. every day. And it's still not the miracle drug of, of elation. It's mm. not the 24-hour orgasm. It is 
10% happier from meditating daily. Right. And he could look at that and be like, oh, well, it helps only 10%. So why do it? Right. I mean, it, it, so I think perspective is really important there as well. Dude, I love in this article, I, Sean, we got to share this on the, on the show notes, obviously. Um, but they, they talk about the difference between a seeker and a practitioner. So a seeker or someone who wants a certain lifestyle, uh, they have to figure out how to be a practitioner which is basically someone who lives that lifestyle day in and day out. Practice is about waking up again and again and again and choosing to show up in life in alignment with one's highest intelligence, which to me, that's just saying you have to wake up. If meditation helps, you have to wake up and meditate every day right. or every other day. And if working out helps, you have to wake up and you have to work out. What stood out to me in the question is that she's looking for motivation to to uh get her to act uh-huh. and that is um that's a that that's not the best recipe Mo- motivation doesn't get you to act acting gets you motivated exactly so well, there's all these paths that she's looking at May- maybe you've got five paths and they all kind of lead to the same thing and and maybe she's in a bit of a uh you know um a, a paralysis of choice uh, put, put put all five of those things in a hat and just choose one and start acting on it every day. Mm-hmm. But waking up and saying, oh man, you know, there's too many things that I could do right now. I'm just going to do nothing. Right. That is a seeker. That's not a path either, right? Right, exactly. It, it, is, it is observing the paths and say, well, those are too overwhelming right now. So there is, there is no quick fix. And, and what I love about this article too, man, it, is, it actually has this really nice recipe at the end for... This is still the Dark Horse article, right? Yes, yes. To, um, to basically a- apply uh, this process, how, how to apply this process of being a practitioner to your life. Um, the first thing it says is reflect on what motivates you to come up with three to five core values. Huh? We wrote a book with our five core values uh, of things that matter most to you, the guiding principles in your life. That is the foundation. That is the trunk of the tree. Maybe mm-hmm. we can look at it that way. And then think about how you can turn these core values into daily practices. What actions work in service of your core values? How can you adjust your life to ensure you are taking these actions regularly? How can you incorporate these actions into your current routines? How will you measure whether or not you're taking them? So maybe you look at, these could be the branches. These are the actions that we take on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Whenever you find yourself seeking, I'm sorry, this is the third piece of advice. Whenever you find yourself seeking or wanting a certain outcome of life, note what you're doing and then refocus on practicing your core values. When it comes to happiness, I'm sorry, yeah, when it comes, when it comes, happiness is most often caused indirectly. And that Mm. that just goes back to what I was saying earlier, like living up to your values and beliefs and doing that day in and day out, it doesn't mean you've got this quick fix to happiness, but what it does is it opens up happiness to, to enter into your life. So it's differentiating pleasure, because pleasure, pleasure is, direct Mm -hmm. uh it it's the pleasure is the like that's what motivates us is pleasure right it's the it's the orgasm it's the uh ice cream sunday it's it's the momentary it's the direct route Mm -hmm. but happiness is indirect right it's so it is it's the result this is happiness uh, it being happiness is the result of repeatedly practicing the actions that work in service of your core values, a lifestyle that that compounds with consistency and over time. So I was just talking to my sister yesterday. I mean, she 
is uh, just really struggling with these long work weeks. Um, the job is not, it's starting to not align with her values and beliefs. And she's at this point where she wants to just jump ship. And I was having a conversation with her last night. And I'm like, you know, don't just jump ship. Like, give yourself an end date. I think you should have an expiration date. Like, by this time next year, I want to, you know, transition into something else. Right. And then you have to wake up and you have to practice every single day uh, these habits that can get you to that point. So with her specifically, um, she wants to uh, design websites for people. Mm. So I, as I was on the phone with her, I, I was like, hey, I'm going to Google how do I promote myself as a website designer? And the first article that popped up, 20 ways to promote yourself as a website designer. And there are 20 different things there that she can practice. Right. Doesn't mean that she has to wake up one day or every single day and practice every single one of those things. But I was trying to explain to her that you have to set aside an hour, set aside two hours a week mm-hmm. and do pick, pick one of these 20 things to focus on for an hour a week. And then the next week, pick something else. And it's it, it, none of these are going to be quick fixes. Like, um, you know, it, it, she could go to a networking group. Mm-hmm. Maybe she doesn't get anything. Then she can maybe put, you know, an ad out on Google. Maybe she doesn't get anything. Uh, maybe she starts a blog and starts to talk about website design. Maybe she doesn't get anything. But when you add more actions on top of it, eventually she's going to start seeing some results. The worst thing she can do is do nothing. Right. And it's funny, I was explaining to her another way to look at it. So Mariah's dad, he is an artist Uh and he's got the sculpting clay. And while I was uh, there over uh, over the uh, the, the break I took here a couple weeks ago, I was sitting there messing with the sculpting clay and I tried to like make something Mm -hmm. and it just turned out like garbage. Like, I mean, it looked like a two-year-old did it. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is that I was trying to do it too fast. So when I watch John work with that clay, he's like looking at, one eye and he's like this is what and and i'm just like two eyes (laughs) right yeah but he's what he's going through what what an eye is and now if he stopped at that eye he really wouldn't have much right but then he goes over and then he starts then he focuses on the next eye right and then he focuses on a little bit of detail the nose Mm -hmm. and then a little bit on the cheek and takes his time being very deliberate with his action with this clay and then by the end of it it took a little bit longer or a lot longer than what I was doing, but he had this beautiful product by focusing on it one little piece at a time. Yeah, and and the tidying up that Shannon mentions, or uh, what'd she say? Um, I thought minimizing my belongings would help with the anxiety and help me realize uh, the path to take, but I'm not seeing it. Mm. That's good, because there isn't a path to take. Mm-hmm. And that that's back to what, what you said there. It you've you've minimized maybe you haven't minimized enough mm-hmm. or maybe you have and um it has alleviated your anxiety but you don't feel perfect right it has reduced the anxiety somewhat because the things that once made you anx- anxious are no longer making you anxious because they're gone but it doesn't mean other things won't pop up in fact i think that sometimes you'll get more anxious as you start to let go because the material possessions are a physical manifestation of what's going on inside us and as you let go of that stuff, mm-hmm. oh man, first time in your life where you really have to start looking inside and you realize that psychological clutter. You yeah. realize the spiritual clutter, the mental clutter, the emotional clutter. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I don't just have to deal with that stuff. I have to deal with all this stuff mm. too. Yeah. And that is the path. You know, it's with 
with this whole journey of simplicity or minimalism, simple living, whatever you want to call it. I mean, for me, it is not the act of the packing party. Mm. The packing party like gives me the courage to not care about what society says I should have to make myself happy. It's like the, the, the act of, of simplifying my life, it helps me to stay grounded and really appreciate what is truly important in my life rather than, you know, my, my days of yesteryear, Mm -hmm. you know, I would just, I just had a bunch of junk and, and and very, a very cluttered life. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was in that trap of, if I can just get more clutter, if I can just get more stuff, I'll be happy. I'll I'll appreciate it. I'll appreciate the next thing I bring into my life, but we never do It's All of a sudden I get it Mm. and I set it in the, the, the living room or, or wherever. Mm-hmm. And while I could appreciate it, now all of a sudden it's, no, what else am I grasping for now? Yeah. Happiness is around the next corner. Yeah, absolutely. All right, patrons, we appreciate your time. Uh, Sean, if this is too long, you might have to split it up into two episodes. Uh, let's try to put it on one, as long as it doesn't degrade sound quality for our patrons. Uh, thank you so much. We're just testing out this new format, these new maximal episodes. Yeah, this let us one, know what you think. Yeah, please do. In the comments on Patreon, we are we're eager to hear uh, your thoughts. And also, what do you think about happiness? If you have a comment, the, the comment section. Also, uh, somehow I just discovered that community tab on Patreon. Now everyone is starting to use it. We have people, you can post your own pictures, have oh, wow. inter- interactions with people who are are in this tight-knit community. There's fewer than 3,000 of you right now. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It makes me, because I've often thought about Facebook and how it's a cesspool, man. Right. Like, it is just a cesspool of complaining and showing off. And, uh, like, you really have to do a um, diligent job of curating your newsfeed to kind of stay out of the, the cesspool that Facebook is. Mm. And I've, I've often thought about, like, man, if we could just create, like, a you know, a, a social media uh, a, a, a app or whatever that brings really high quality, or maybe maybe that's not the way to say it, but people who, you know, th- that align with our values and beliefs. People who and, care. And have only those type of people on that platform. I right. didn't even know we had it. Like, it exists right now and with there, the Patreon yeah, community. And, and that's there, awesome. There are different beliefs, too. Like, next week when we're reading through the 100-plus comments on the, the tidying up, mm. it's people from both sides of, they're like, I love this show. It helped so much. It was so useful. And other people are like, well, here's why this show is stupid. Uh, actually, they don't. They actually, they don't even do that. Here's why I don't think this show is useful. Mm-hmm. And but no one is going at each other. They're simply positing their beliefs and saying, here's what I think. No judgment. And so the, the stupid thing was, is actually not what someone said. But there are people from both sides. And actually, you learn there are more than two sides. It's an entire spectrum. Incredible. But and we're all coming from the same place. Yes. I love that. And, and we all care and we're all supportive. So if you want to find open-minded and sometimes like-minded people, man, if you're a patron, that's the best place to go. Head on over to patreon.com slash the minimalist. Click on that community tab at the top and start interacting with each other. And we'll, we'll pop in there occasionally. But I think the biggest benefit is that uh, you all get to interact with each other. And you're not just getting the advice from the Josh and Ryan show. I mean, we're you, great. Right. But you you need a diverse uh, a diverse group of people that you that you listen to. Yes, indeed. All right, y'all. Love people use things. We'll see you next time. See ya. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need 
Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for and you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear 